You're listening to Cadence, a podcast for creatives. I'm Hafsa. And I'm Yan. And if you're new to this podcast, uh, Cadence is a conversation around topics that we wish we'd been more uh, well-informed about when we started out in our career paths. The hope is to arm you, the listener, with some takes and tips that might be of service as you venture out on your own unique path and hopefully just have a great conversation. Yeah. So Hafsa, I heard that you were getting moving on the next uh, rendition of Ify. That's right. Do you want to tell people about what Ify is? Absolutely. So Ify, Independent Film Festival Ypsilanti, is a sort of indie film festival that's been happening uh, for the past couple of years in the Ypsilanti area. We host downtown at the Riverside Arts Center. And uh, I'd like to talk about Ify as sort of being a scrappy film festival. <laughs> so um, it's just been kind of a, a small crew of us, local creatives from the Michigan area, coming together to celebrate uh, film and arts and everything in that Venn diagram. Um, Donald Harrison and Martin Thoburn have been the uh, kind of producers and directors for the past couple of seasons. Um, and myself and a couple of others were brought on as programmers. Um, it was actually my first time programming for a film festival, um, having you know, being somebody that enjoys film festivals and, you know, just going and experiencing that community and that environment. I've always sort of wanted to be on the other side of it, where it's like, how do you actually program uh, a film festival? And uh, turns out it's a lot like a playlist, but for movies, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Um, but we're ramping back up. Um, I'm actually going to be coming on as a co-director this year, and I'm really excited to uh help evolve the event into something that, you know, hopefully can bring some engagement and some excitement and some hope to uh, the Ypsilanti slash Ann Arbor area. Um, I think we've been going through a lot this past year, especially, uh -huh. and I'm really hoping that, you know, we can create an event that, you know, can ease people's minds and give them something to kind of rally around. Uh -huh. Yeah, the last one was so fascinating and yeah. engaging. I loved that there was youth programming. There was um, what was there was a macabre one which I bought yeah. tickets for and then skipped out on at yeah. the last minute. Um, <laughs> but I just love that you're bringing together all these circles of people that are thinking about creative consumption and centered around uh, a community theater space. Absolutely, it was, so, it was so much fun. Yes, yes, more of that this year. Thanks to Venue by Forum in Ann Arbor for providing this incredible space to work, collaborate, and produce a podcast in. Hafsa and I work out of here regularly. We enjoy the food, the coffee, the pastries. And uh, I don't know if you knew this, but I just found out that there's a $10 pizza and beer special. Oh, hold on. What? Yeah. <laughs> if you go to the marketplace, you can have it there. And I'm going to be doing that. Yes. Yes. Ready for some pizza. Every day. Yes. Every day. Pizza for lunch all the time. Awesome. Today's topic is building your personal brand. And we have such an incredible guest to share this topic with today. Couldn't think of a better person. Um, Hafsa, you got some really, really great ideas going about this. Yeah. I'm No, I'm really stoked for this. I mean, this guy over here, Mr. Pete Baker, has taught me a lot about building my own brand, building the brands of others, and really just thinking about design in, you know, more thoughtful, conscious ways. So I'm really excited for this um, conversation. Um, to, to kind of set it up, today's topic 
specifically is around building your personal brand. And, you know, the reason that we wanted to discuss this is, you know, because as creatives ourselves, as people who know other, you know, up and coming artists, designers, you know, digital media producers, you know, we don't always think about that first step in, you know, really building our careers, which is how are we presenting ourselves to our clients, to the people that, you know, we want to work for, to ideally the people that will hire us and pay us money. Um, and so, you know, building that personal brand, you know, first you have to think of, you know, what even is a brand? How does this sort of correlate into how someone perceives who I am and, you know, the kind of work that I do? And so I have these sort of uh, quotes here to, you know, sort of start to encapsulate this. But, you know, obviously we're going to get Pete's more expertise here. Um, but this one is from David uh, Dave Buck, CEO of Coachville. And I think it's a pretty nice one. So your brand is a gateway to your true work. You know you're here to do something, to create something or help others in some way. The question is, how can you set up your life and work so that you can do it? And the answer lies in your brand. When you create a compelling brand, you attract people who want the promise of your brand, which you deliver. So mm. kind of a lot of that. But I, I think that's that's so meaningful, especially that first kind of statement. Your brand is the gateway to your true work. It's sort of that window into who you are and what you offer. Um, and so kind of off of that, um, I want to, you know, fold in our guest here, uh, Pete Baker. So he is an awarding, award-winning creative director, product design leader, brand strategist, and entrepreneur who has developed both consumer and B2B products and brands collectively valued in the billions with a B. <laughs> he has put his unique approach to brand communication strategy to works for brands like Tesla, Sony, Cisco, Miramax, uh, McAfee, Rolling Stone, and one of Ann Arbor's own uh, tech unicorns, Duo Security. He has also continued his work serving as an advisor and investor uh, in numerous local and global startups and brands. He has been a guest lecturer on design and entrepreneurship at the University of Michigan. He's a board chair on the Ann Arbor, at the Ann Arbor Arts Center and has been featured in various publications such as Creative Arts, Business Week, and the Wall Street Journal. So just a few accolades <laughs> there. for. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have Hafsa intro everywhere. <laughs> All, every time. Yeah. yeah. Hype man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But no, this is I, I think it's great to have your expertise here because, you know, especially for you know, people who might not know what a brand strategist is or an entrepreneur, you know, especially a creative entrepreneur, having this kind of perspective can kind of add some color to like, okay, what is, what are these roles? And then in terms of a brand, you know, as somebody who has been a creative director, you're in charge of hiring designers looking for talent, you know, what are you looking for? What are, what is that sort of first impression that you expect to see from somebody who, you know, might be working for you or who you might be collaborating with? So, um, yeah, just to kind of broadly open it up on that first. You yeah, know. I mean, that's a great – and first off, thanks for having me on this. And um, when you started introing this as the uh, personal brand episode, I was like, oh, shit, I don't, <laughs> I don't really have one because I, I think we are uh, sort of caught up in this idea of like a personal brand being your online persona, right? Yeah. Your, your influencer brand, your Twitter following, your Instagram – uh, side of things, and I'm I'm nothing on any of those. Uh, that's never been my thing. I'm uh, I, I tend to be pretty like hesitant to put myself out on those platforms, other than the most casual. Here's a photo of right. a bunch of people hanging out together, or something like that. No TikTok um, dances for Pete. <laughs> right, right. But I love doing things like this more conversationally, and I you know I I think that's actually a 
a significant part of um, what is often ignored or not ignored, but but not prioritized enough around uh, these kind of careers is just the ability to talk about your work, the ability to contextualize your work for somebody else. You know, it's one thing for us as fellow creative people to talk about design work and, and, and art and stuff, but clients are almost inherently not in the same field. Mm. And so you really have to interpret what you do and, and be able to communicate the importance of what you do to people that don't inherently understand it or get it or, or have a million other things to do. And so that willingness and ability to kind of put yourself out there and expose this otherwise very um, sort of personal and subjective, um, you know, we as designers hold this stuff really close, right? And no matter how many times we say our idea, we're, we're not our ideas, it's still really hard to deal with rejection of those ideas or uh, development of skills, feeling like you're not as good as you want to be or things like that. But then you go up in front of a client and they're just like, holy shit, this is the this is great. I'm so glad. And you're like, oh, well, that makes up for all of my <laughs> yeah. issues that I had uh, personally. Yeah. So, um, but, you, but you asked specifically around sort of what to, what to look for when you're hiring um, or, or collaborating with, mm. with others. And I think it, a lot of it is that, that ability to kind of um, translate what you're really good at into something that's going to be really useful for somebody else. Um, design especially is inherently a communication art. Right. Um, so I think the, the ability to communicate, the ability to, to contextualize the importance of this stuff for somebody else and why what you did over here mm -hmm. is going to help them with the goals that they have over here. Their goals are, you know, a company's goals are not to have the coolest brand. Right, right. It's to have a brand that helps fulfill certain objectives. And being cool might help fulfill those, but that's not the end goal, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to find, you got to understand the businesses well enough mm -hmm. to be able to make what you're doing worthwhile to them. And that's a lot of research, right? That's, that's mm -hmm. the, that demands, you know, that on your end, you're paying attention, you're, you know, kind of researching the kinds of companies or, you know, say you want to approach a business, you don't just say, hey, like, I want to work for you, you know, here's my dope work. You yeah. kind of have to put in that legwork, right? To be like, this is, you know, what the company does. This is their audience. This is their tone and how they speak and, and kind of almost putting yourself in the, the shoes of the client or the business to really be able to kind of speak their language and mm -hmm. communicate, right? Because mm -hmm. ultimately what we're doing is communicating, whether it's, you know, whatever medium that we're working with. Yeah. If, if I wanted them to just buy what I do, I'd be an artist, right? Mm -hmm. um, but my job is inherently to be in the service of their business and to try to bring what I do and what I enjoy doing in a way that is worth it for them. So, so yeah, it's um, it it takes research, it takes understanding, it takes listening. Mm -hmm. uh, designers like main superpower is empathy, not in a mm -hmm. not in the squishy way of like mm -hmm. making it a great place to work, like literally being able to understand somebody else's business in a way that you can participate in it as if you were a full time mm -hmm. employee or running the business itself. You are trying to guide them to a different place and you can only do that if you've really done the, the legwork to understand whether it's the technology underneath their product, their audience, um, the the industry around them. Like it does take, it takes research, it takes in, intuitiveness, mm -hmm. it takes interpretation. Like I'm not, I'm not super methodical on the research. I just get consumed 
right. by the world around the companies that I work for. Mm -hmm. And for a young person that is that here's your list. I mean, even for me, I'm thinking Miramax and you were at Duo. Your job begets the next job. But for mm -hmm. a young person, when they're just starting out and they're like, how do I build up my pers persona? Usually the first thing I tell them is like, well, remember to respond to emails in a timely <laughs> method, yeah. right? Remember to return calls. That's all mm -hmm. part of your brand. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about these deeper dives into method or lack of method, mm -hmm. how does how do you think a young person starts to build into that? I mean, that's a good question. I, anytime I talk to you, um, like people coming in out of college that are like, how do I start getting paid for what I do? Or how do I start building this stuff? The, the thing that always comes up in my head is just be useful. Be seen as being mm -hmm. useful. Mm -hmm. Be willing to be useful. Don't look at everything as a transaction. Don't look at everything, right. especially early on, as how am I going to get paid for this? How am I going to get the most for this? That's, that's my world now is making sure that I'm <laughs> maximizing my, you know, splintered time into the most money I can for it. But early on, you just have to get embedded in everything you can. And and designers and artists are some of the most useful people mm -hmm. in the world because we can kind of apply ourselves to a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So be willing to collaborate even if it's not a direct payoff. Be willing to jump in and help a company get off the ground. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of figure out if 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 you're owed something from it. And I know that's like sort of the antithesis of what a lot of people will say about knowing your worth and commanding your worth. And mm -hmm. that's true. But at first, nobody else understands right. it. And you can demonstrate it probably way easier than you can explain it sure. early on. Absolutely. So demonstrate usefulness and people will be knocking down your door to have more of that usefulness. And then eventually you start saying, all right, Pay me that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a really good point, too, because I remember when I was first freelancing, you know, and when I was just trying to get work and kind of get in front of clients, you know, if you're in school, you have school projects and then you have the things that you make up. Right. Yeah. So right. You, you really have to sort of invent your portfolio. And, you know, if that means that you're approaching people and essentially, you know, you're volunteering your services, you're saying, hey, I have the skill set. I can do this, you know, for you, for your organization. I'll make you a poster. I'll make you mm -hmm. a publication or whatever. And maybe it doesn't immediately come with those sort of financial rewards that you're looking for, but you're sort of paving the way so that you can say, you know, these are my rates. This is yeah. what I charge. And you'll have established through your previous work that you can do this. And you know? don't even really know how much time things right. take, how much you should get for it. Exactly. And and I would know, I'll, I'll be the first to say like don't do spec work. You know, right. don't do don't do stuff for free for no. companies that are making money. I'm Dude, uh -huh. I'm really saying like there are a lot of like groups and organizations that would love to yeah. have a designer working on their stuff and that will um, you know, neutral zone here in Ann Arbor is a great example, the Art Center, all these right. places where they have a real like professional output of their stuff, but they don't have the resources yeah. uh, to do that kind of stuff. They mm -hmm. would love and appreciate any help doing those kind of things. And it gives you practice. Yeah. It's going to get you connected much quicker into the sort of leadership side of things mm -hmm. because these organizations are pretty flat yeah. and they're just like, this person wants to help on this stuff. Great. I got so many things for mm -hmm. them to help with. Uh, versus, and I just want to make make it clear that I'm not saying go volunteer for Cisco right. or right. something. <laughs> no, no yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and and don't and enter you know spec design contests and stuff. Yeah. But um, but I will say, I mean, one of my favorite 
anecdotes. Uh, Daft Punk, when they did the Tron soundtrack, everyone was there were a bunch of interviews with them like man how'd you land the tron soundtrack and their one of their responses was we've been basically making the tron, right. tron soundtrack our whole our whole career have you like, ever heard of us yeah it was, it was inevitable and yeah. so everyone gets hung up and like how do i get that great job it's like right. well do that job do that yes um uh-huh. you know if the the kind of work you want to get you get because you've demonstrated the demonstrated that you can do that kind of work mm-hmm. so if you if you're trying to get into a different area of things you're not going to get hired for that first you got to you got to kind of do some of that yourself and that i mean that's what drew me to design anyway i started i I went to architecture school and the career path for architects is years and decades of Mm. you know working on somebody else's designs and graphic design and photography and art so immediate like Mm -hmm. i can do everything myself basically if i have the skills and the the software for it and so i loved that ability to produce something and get the very quick gratification of mm-hmm. it, you can build a portfolio without ever doing a job for anyone. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And and then build the kind of portfolio that you want to get jobs for. And it's amazing how much that clicks. Absolutely. That's such a great point. I mean, I tell students that a lot is do the job that you want to have someday, mm-hmm. dress for the job that you want to have someday, yeah. like do the thing. Yeah. And the more you do that thing and the more you specialize, that's when people come after you. So right. yeah, everything act, act you're saying. Act as if. Yes, right. absolutely. Yeah. I want to kind of get into, so we have sort of our two sections, you know, we talk about the labor, which is, you know, kind of describing some of the, you know, the areas of friction that a practitioner might run into mm-hmm. as they're, you know, building their brand or their career or what have you. And then we talk about the leisure, so kind of the payoff afterwards. But to kind of get into the leisure, I have this as a group question, but, you know, we can, whoever wants to answer first, go ahead. So, you know, how did we develop the brands that we've built around our work and what would we have done differently knowing what we know now? And I feel like, since you're here, Pete, why don't you <laughs> I, um... There, there was like a real marked shift in my sort of mentality around my own career after freelancing for a long time, um, doing, you know, being solopreneur kind of thing for forever. I was working for different brands, for different agencies. I had a lot of people that I was communicating with and stuff, but the, the work was entirely mine. And I thought that was really like the way to do it. I thought that was how I wanted it. Uh, and it wasn't until I took a role, it was, it was at Duo, um, and very quickly the role became build up a team. Mm-hmm. And Hafsa, you were on that team. And what came out of that was probably the best period of collaboration I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably the worst period of my own work oh, showing no. up, right? Like all of a sudden I had these amazing people around me doing work that was way better than what I was doing. Um, but it was so much more fun as a result. Uh-huh. And I moved into kind of a position of like dot connector, right? Like mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. I was deep in the in the business side of things. I was deep in the industry and I would just sort of, you know, be it was classic sort of creative director mm-hmm. role where I was not the person to be pushing the pixels anymore. We had way better people for that, like Hafsa. Yeah. But I was the one sort of interpreting right. the business needs to the creative side. Mm-hmm. And so that shift from I have to have all the skills, all the acumen, and I'm going to run everything myself to 
fully collaborative at the service of not only the company that I'm part of, but also the team that I'm uh, building here. That really sort of changed my my whole sort of career mindset and trajectory. Like collaboration and working with other people was just so much more fun. And the work that came out of it was so much better than what I had been doing myself before. And I, you know, I still get to take credit for right. for that oh, yeah. work, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so so I think that was that was a big thing. This idea of like the solo freelancer mm-hmm. is really attractive. Um, but at a certain point, you you, you kind of top out on both the skill capacity, the emotional capacity, the collaboration capacity, the sort of uh, the the inherent um, accountability yeah. that comes with other people, sort of needing something from you right. or you needing something from them. Uh, so that was that was really fun. And now now that I'm back into running a small studio again, I have a partner and I knew I didn't want to do it solo again. Um, but yeah, that that shift to a willingness to do the messy work yeah. of combining creative and mm-hmm. subjective uh, people's right. output, I think was 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 a big, big shift for me. And trusting people too. Totally. Because you have to make sure you're getting the right people for the job and then trust them they'll do that job to, you know, your your standards. And and back to that, uh, what I was originally saying about communication and the ability to interpret the stuff, being able to deliver feedback in a useful way, but also a sort of pointed way. I mean, one of the best things I got out of design school, I switched from architecture to, to design in the last year and went deep into studio practice stuff. And we had one uh, amazing professor that had the hardest, hard, most hardcore critiques that any of us had had in school yet. I mean, people were beside themselves of like, why are you saying this about this? Like he, he would say like, what was the purpose of this poster? Say it was like a jazz event or yeah. something. And, you know, pe- someone would make a really amazing looking thing. And he's like, what day is it? Like, when is this event happening? And they're like, oh, it's down there in the corner. He's like, this is a fail. Like, it's not wow. communicating. And people would come out and just like, holy shit, this guy is so hard. It's like, no, he's yes. acting like a client. He has a singular need from this, and that's to communicate when and where this thing's happening. Right. And you went off and made this amazing painting yeah, yeah. that doesn't have the date on it, <laughs> right? So those kind of things, like you know, being able to stay focused on, like, what's the – What's the true purpose of the design mm-hmm. work? And then allowing for the creativity within those lines right. was really it, it's like a it's a really fun but difficult sort of line to line to walk. Part of what's tough about these kind of careers, like our area of industry, is it's not a, a straightforward path. Mm-hmm. Right. There's so many different directions you can take. Uh, there's so many things that count as a creative career, mm-hmm. right? Whereas I mentioned before, like if you're in the dentist school, I have a feeling I can uh, figure out like what your career is going to look like, <laughs> what it's adjacent to. But design school, like we're not – most of us don't work in design companies. Right. We're designing for other companies mm-hmm. or working with other companies. So we have to learn those industries as much as we know our own. Mm-hmm. Whereas dentists, not to throw dentists under the bus, <laughs> they can be pretty singularly minded, right? They, they need yeah, to learn yeah. dentistry. They work in the dentist industry. Mm-hmm. Whether they're the dentist or not, it's all about teeth. Exactly. Right? Uh-huh. Life is teeth. They Open don't – Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
And designers don't always, like you might go, like you said, you went to architecture school, mm -hmm. but now you're a creative director and I started out in graphic design. Now I'm doing motion design, mm -hmm. which is kind of a blend. So I feel like design specifically is a very forked path. It can kind of lead to whatever you yeah. want it to lead to. Mm -hmm. And you might come back mm -hmm. to one of those early yeah. forks. Absolutely. I wanted to ask this question because I was personally kind of curious. So as a consultant for both, you know, startups and large organizations, what's kind of a shared struggle that you found that clients have when they're building their brands? Um, is there a shared struggle? Yes, 100%. I think the biggest problem is telling their story, mm -hmm. simplifying their story, interpreting the millions of data points that they have about why their product does a certain thing, who their audience is, what successes they've had, mm -hmm. and interpreting that into something anyone else is going to care about mm -hmm. or pay attention to or even be able to digest. Like um, the the ability, again, it's, it's that empathy mm -hmm. of knowing that every one of your audience members is, is thinking about you a thousandth of the amount of time that you're right. thinking about your own company. <laughs> and so you can't exhaust people with right. all the context. And so the story you tell, not just about what your product does, mm -hmm. but why you're making that product, why you think this company is necessary, this product is necessary, that's that's the story that, that gets people to listen to the next chapter, mm -hmm. uh, the next part of things. And I don't think it, it's not a natural uh, attribute of most companies, big or small. I feel like you can kind of relate to that too, Yen, as a graphic recorder. I mean, mm -hmm. major, your job is literally interpreting, you know, what people are saying. So there's almost that crossover of, you know, having that empathy to understand, you know, what the clients, what the client is saying, what their concerns are and the best way to kind of visualize it. Yeah. And I think that as a creative, I mean, we wield this power of I get to interpret what was just said or what you just told me. Mm -hmm. And because I'm the designer or creative, you have trusted me now to tell your story, right? So we're interpreting yeah. it through our lens. Mm -hmm. And I like to think that with more and more experience over the years that most of the time you get it right. And then you can highlight it in a way that your client would have never thought of because they are so grounded in how they want to be portrayed that they can't break out of the mold. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, even in my work, I'm I'm visualizing it in a totally different way. And they're like, oh, we never thought about it that way yeah. before. So you, you have to bring um, creatives that have a fresh take on it and just mm -hmm. have the ability to say, yeah, maybe you do sell dental equipment but you got to tell the story another way because this is not this is not going to cut it and and being able to consult to those people on things that you know you just went deep into this whole area of stuff that frankly is irrelevant to your audience like how do you tell them that this thing that i thought was super important to get across it's like you know maybe, maybe it's not like the editing aspect of it is i think super important mm. Most, you know, I work with a lot of like product marketing mm -hmm. teams, and the desire to be exhaustive yes. with that kind of um, world is intense. Yeah. And most of the time, I'm just like, "Sorry, th this is not yeah. relevant right Paradigm. now." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just you're you're losing people. Yeah. And and yet, to your point, like you do a lot of stuff with internal groups. Like this is inward facing stuff. Mm -hmm. They're doing workshops for how to sort of figure out their own process or their own um, story or even just like how do we tell people what we do 
that internal inward facing workshopping and process is just as important. When I say story, I'm not talking about the two minute intro video you make uh-huh. for your homepage. Right. I'm talking about like literally what does your team say mm-hmm. about right. what the company does? What consistency can you have here when you've got so many people doing different things in the company? Yeah, it's inciting passion and just drive to keep doing this together. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're right. Yeah, that internal story is so important. And and a you know, a way to get everyone rowing in the same direction yes. too, without yeah. constantly yeah. without having to have I mean, this is why it's so important for small companies. The the founder and the CEO cannot stay involved in every single right. meeting sure. and sales call and everything in order to impart the same message or the same strategy across everyone. Mm-hmm. And eventually, everybody's got to understand the point and the the motivation here, right. so that they can do it themselves. Exactly. So to begin to the leisure, I have there's sure. like more questions, but I feel like yeah, we're we've covered a lot of good so stuff. much. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks, Pete. I need Pete. So, going into the leisure. So, this is you know kind of what's making what makes those labors worth it. You know, what is the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Um, I think one question that we have here is you know how have the the fruits of our personal brand recognition shown up for us? You know, are we getting more work? Are mm-hmm. we getting better clients? You know, are we getting the kind of clients that we want? Uh, do we have too many people knowing who we are? The reverse, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. How is how is you know? And maybe I can start too with Yen here. Like, how has your brand kind of shown up for you? Have you found that it sort of impacts, you know, the kind of work that you get? Are you you know what what is how is it? Okay. Uh, well, I know from my data collection that eighty seven percent of my clients last year were nonprofit, mm-hmm. and somebody said to me the other day. So does that mean you don't make as much? And I was like, actually, on the contrary, I charge everybody the same across the board. Mm -hmm. And when you get to that point, you can decide who do you want to subsidize? There are local organizations that I I love what you do. Mm -hmm. I believe in your mission, your vision 100%. I would donate money every day if I could. Instead, I might be able to do the work at just a fraction of the price because I can charge corporate or large national nonprofit X so that I can actually do what I love. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest markers of success for myself personally is that I've been able to say no. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't believe in what you're doing or I don't want to work with you in this way. And I can charge somebody the, the amount that I charge everybody else so that I can work with the smaller mom and pop shops. Um, I think that's one way that my brand has changed over the years where I think in the beginning, you're just constantly trying to be scrappy. You're like, I kind of do something Mm -hmm. like that and I'll just apply those skills and I'll figure that software out. Um, So my brand has definitely evolved that way. Definitely just having choice, having security, all of those things. Um, I think are great indicators. Mm-hmm. And I, when we were talking about guests for this particular episode, Pete, I think you came up because the way that you've evolved in your different roles, um, this kind of jumps into the next thing we were going to ask you. But how do you how do you think that your your brand has changed, and how do people perceive you so that you can make the jump from one kind of project to the other? Yeah, I mean, both of those questions are so intertwined mm-hmm. for me. Like. Leisure is such a foreign concept for me, even though I have so many hobbies and I have so many leisure activities. They're all the best part about sort of where I'm at right now is I get to pursue those the same way I get to pursue anything on the work side. So 
the flexibility of being able to say no to a thing or just or you know maybe shut down for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. because like I'm I'm at a point now where I have been through the phases of feast and famine enough to know yeah that maybe the famine times are actually the best times because right. the feasts will will come mm-hmm. um, and to embrace those times to sort of indulge in in other activities but as far as how the brand has changed, I mean, I used to be really obsessed with getting my name out there in the digital sphere, yeah. right? And when the when the web was kind of starting, and I was just you know cutting my teeth on things, I I had a I had a one of the first daily photo blogs, and I was getting like tons of attention and work from that. And so my online persona, not even in the social, this was sort of pre social media, but just my ability to get work was really from networking with people online. Inter- I have a lot of friends that are, you know, going on 20 years now that I met on the internet, you know, mm-hmm. back when mm-hmm. you could do that in a way that yeah. wasn't so weird and toxic. <laughs> um, and so for a long time, it was like I, I saw such a huge benefit from being able to work digitally. Mm-hmm. And this was – I was working remotely, basically. It was right. before this was like such a, an official thing. I was able – I was – I moved back from California to Michigan and I was still working for companies in California. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting work in ways that had nothing to do with my sort of local persona, right? And what has changed significantly since then is I'm actually really enjoying the more locally focused stuff mm-hmm. now. I want um, more personal connection. I want more connection to my community and my city and and the stuff I'm doing here. I'm opening a bar and coffee shop now just for the feeling of putting a key in a door and opening it you know like those those kind of things are 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 so different than what i thought i was going to be doing 15 years ago 20 years ago Mm -hmm. when it was all digital work web work and stuff like that Mm -hmm. (coughs) excuse me but the i couldn't do one or the other right now even um having my feet in both sides of those things working with companies that I'm primarily over Zoom with um, because of the opportunities that those bring versus like I'm, you know, going from recording this podcast to dealing with our subcontractors at the bar that are installing speakers right now. It's just such a different mindset and such Mm -hmm. a different thing. But what I'm getting out of that is so much different from what I get out of the other side. And I like both of those things, whereas it used to be I want to be. I want to be on stage somewhere talking right. about my design. I don't care about any of that stuff anymore. I like doing these podcasts because yeah. it's conversations with, yeah. with homies, but I don't. I'm I'm not trying to build the yeah. biggest design persona anymore. I'm like, I I would I have as much fun building like tree houses and planter boxes yeah. at home as I do like building a website right now. <laughs> so there That's is different. sort of a. Maybe it's a midlife sort of thing where I'm I'm looking for fulfillment elsewhere right. than being the 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 best at this one thing. Mm-hmm. I really like being mediocre at a lot of things. <laughs> yes, that's the tagline to aim for. Yes, yes, on a t-shirt. Well, and for I sure. love that too because I think, especially in the design sphere, you know, there's sort of that journey that I think a lot of people think they have to take where it's like, I'm going to be, 
junior, senior designer. I'm going to be mm-hmm. an art director, a creative director. I'm going to, you know, do presentations on TEDx and talk about design yep. and all this stuff. And it's like, that's one path you can take. But, you know, what's the payoff for you after, you know, you've made it? What does that success look like? And it sounds like, you know, like for you, success means that you get to do what you want to do. You get to 100%. relax, enjoy. You can, you know, work around in your backyard. You can have a bar. You can do literally whatever you want to do. Like, that's the payoff. You know, mm-hmm. the payoff is whatever really brings you joy and it doesn't have to be that sort of stereotypical you know definition of success that i think a lot of artists have and and going back to the very first thing i mentioned like being useful yeah um whether it's to myself and my family or to the local community or this really huge network of great coworkers i've had that are all doing great things now and i can kind of contribute over there without jumping in uh, full time on it you know even even just volunteering like the art center mm-hmm. um where you know, i work with the tree line that's trying mm-hmm. to put in this this yeah. nature trail and stuff and it's just they're they're different ways of me applying this sort of design mindset yes. this communication mindset mm-hmm. to completely different things mm-hmm. and they don't all have to be profit motivated but the counter to that is when i am doing something for a company I know damn sure how much I'm going to charge them right. to make sure that it can enable all this other exactly. stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. And when you get to a certain point, you're working with companies that have like real budgets. Don't pretend that what you're doing is not valuable. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 assume that that they're not just as willing to pay you if mm-hmm. you if you're going to deliver results as they would do a sales consultant mm-hmm. or something that you know for sure has their hourly rate dialed paid. in and oh, is yeah. going to get paid. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Hafsa, have you had any leisure lately? Because you've been, the, like, she's been harder the to reach chillest, lately. But least leisurely person. That's what I think is. I was like, wait a second, mm-hmm. I haven't talked to Hafsa this week, and that's so <laughs> unlike us. You know, my my leisure takes different forms. I and my mom always kind of pokes fun at me for this because she sees my work as work. But I think for me. I do sometimes find work leisurely where it's like, you know, I, my mind Mm -hmm. is moving about something, you know, usually I'm solving some kind of communication or a design problem and I I get joy out of that. I I would like the times where I can just lie on the floor for a minute too, but Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's why designers and and even more so uh, artists and creatives have a really hard time asking for money for these things because we like doing this stuff. You're ruminating all the time. You're like, I'm doing it anyway. This is my life. Yeah. If it, if I'm not doing it for you, I'm doing it for myself. Yeah, like, and yeah. so it, it's really hard to put a number on that because then you're like, you're right. assigning worth to something that you enjoy. Exactly. And then that makes it really hard to enjoy as much unless you feel like you're getting what you should for right. it. Uh-huh. So, yeah, uh-huh. I, I think we uh, we get in our own ways, or get in our way, our own way a lot with those kind of things because of the personal connection we have. Mm-hmm. These yeah. are fairly the the more objectivity we can bring to this very subjective um career the easier it is to say yeah i'm 300 bucks an hour right Mm -hmm. you don't Mm -hmm. i I don't blame you if you if you don't want that or you can't afford it but like knowing how splintered the rest of my days are two hours with me today is going to be valuable Mm -hmm. to you but i can't give you 40 hours a week right now so exactly you know this 300 dollars an hour comes with for two hours comes with six hours of other stuff (laughs) i have to do that i'm not getting paid for so of course Mm -hmm. so So true shall we get into tactics no let's do it all right so i don't know if you brought any tactics pete but i'll kind of kick off with this tactic for our listeners 
think about what kind of work you want to be associated with, you know, and I would say try to approach this tactic from the perspective of a potential client who is seeking work. So, you know, out of the many things that our listeners might be doing for, you know, school, for their career, what is it that brings you joy? What is it that you actually want to do and that you feel fulfilled, you know, doing? And I guess as an example for myself, you know, in the past, I did kind of a lot of freelance publication work, more kind of strictly graphic design work. And now what I actually like to do is more aligned towards brand strategy and motion, which are two different things, but there's crossover to them. But I, I really feel like I get I'm the happiest, you know, when I'm working one on one with people to figure out, you know, what is the visual direction of a thing? What mm -hmm. is the story that we're trying to tell? And what ways can we do that? You know, what mediums can we use? What collaborators can we bring on to projects? And I really enjoy that work. So yeah, for our listeners, think about that. What brings you joy? Any other tactics? I didn't do my homework and I didn't come with a tactic this week, Hafsa. I'm sorry. That's your tactic. No homework. Yeah. I was just like, I'm freeing myself of, of the homework. Oh, I week. like that. Free yourself of homework. That's, That's kind of yeah. a good tactic. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, I tinker a lot with yes. random stuff. I have a 3D printer for some reason. I have mm. a laser etcher for some reason. I have weird little breadboards of things, circuits and stuff that I never got to work. Um, <laughs> cool. But just playing with those things, sort of like getting into other areas of things, both technical and not, um, whether or not it's going to turn into anything mm -hmm. useful, it makes me feel like I'm still learning mm -hmm. something and, and playing with things that are inherently creative too, mm -hmm. but are not my job, mm -hmm. you know? And, and eventually... I mean, a lot of these things that I used to tinker with, I now can speak to mm. from a strategy point of view. I'm not the I shouldn't be modeling your your engine parts or anything, <laughs> sure. but I know how no. those get exactly. fabbed now. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm talking to a car manufacturer, I can speak the language mm -hmm. in a way that lets me speak. Uh, so, so you asked about research before. Yeah. It's kind of a way of researching things mm -hmm. on spec, yeah. right? <laughs> playing, playing around, like giving yourself time to do that stuff. I like that. It might cool. it might turn into something useful later. I like that approach too. And yeah, totally. Especially if it's something that's sort of outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Like not not to bring in my motorcycle personality to things, but, but please do. <laughs> <laughs> so I got um a, a small 150 cc displacement motorcycle um, a couple of years ago, and I did my first bike maintenance on it. I had to change. I changed the tires. I changed the oil. I did all this wow. other kind of electronic stuff that is completely you know, outside of the spectrum of design mm -hmm. and, you know, anything that was in my comfort zone. But I learned so much. Uh -huh. And now it's like that extra little skill set in the back of my head that, <laughs> you know, I can kind of, I might have to apply to something else. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's a way to expand well, your mind. I mean, you're you're creating a full self. Right. right? And yeah. I mean, we, we can get really easily maniacally focused on one area of our individuality around our career. Yeah. And mm -hmm. It becomes obsessive. And now it's like anything that takes away from that feels like we're taking away from our future selves. It's like, hell no. It's adding <laughs> yes. to your future. I, I changed a carburetor and a four-wheeler oh this summer, God. and I feel like I finally got my, <laughs> my Michigan merit badge. Uh, it didn't work. Oh, no. <laughs> 
But when I went to the guy who eventually got it working, I could speak to it intelligently. Well, I screwed that up. And this was, I think, is king. Was it like 95% done? Yeah. I mean, it was assembled and it should have been fine, but there was something else further in the fuel mixture and this other world of chemistry and and gasoline. But you did it. But I did it. It was, and it was fun to do. Yes. I've got a thousand half done projects like that. Especially in the sort of freelance world or individual career world, um, when we know how much our time costs other people or Mm -hmm. how much our time is worth, it can be really tempting to quantify all of the time we spend Mm. in dollars and cents. And, you know, we're doing this podcast for an hour. Should I, you know, did that take away? Like, like, we've got to get out of that. Sort of mindset. So it's really tough when you're a freelancer and you're looking at every five minutes as something I should be productive right. with. That can really wear on you. It burned me out and it made me actually want to go in-house mm-hmm. um, because I just couldn't yeah, couldn't awesome. keep that grind going where every interaction I had with somebody felt transactional. Mm-hmm. It's like, what, what can I get out of this relationship? Or yeah. Every 20 minutes I spent sitting in traffic or something was like, well, there goes money I could have made. Like, <laughs> it, it's, to- it's a toxic way of thinking about how your days are spent. But I think that's a great reminder for uh, students or emerging creatives that don't think about that at right. all. Yeah. Right. They think that if I just do this grind over and over again, that somebody will pay me for it. And they aren't valuing their minutes. Mm-hmm. So I... You could go opposite extremes in that. And the totally. degree to which you find balance so that you can mm. make a living and pay your bills is so, so yeah. important. Yeah. So that's that's a great lesson. Really and the, the sort of – I was I just read uh, Chuck Klosterman's book about the 90s uh, called The 90s. And the main sort of thread through it was how much sellout culture was such a defining factor of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Like we, we held – we held, held so many artists in contempt if they were seen as sellouts, right? right? If mm-hmm. they got too famous for mm-hmm. their own good or they were seen as being groomed for stardom or something. And we don't have that anymore. Like Drake was on Degrassi Junior High and nobody's like, oh, really oh man, he's he's been in Hollywood for so long. It's like <laughs> we celebrate it. that. But yeah. Alanis Morissette was on uh, – you can't do that on television. Right. Everyone's like, yeah, total sellout. It's like, yeah. come on. So we need to get over this idea of like our time, uh, like our creative pursuits yeah. are not um, valuable unless they're given away. Mm, yeah. um, I mean, that's very different for artists than it is for designers. But I don't know. The flip side of that is trying not to make everything about the money mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get to homework. Can we read our first homework assignment, Ian? Yeah. Uh, let's see. You can paraphrase because so... I wrote too much. <laughs> So, um, Hafsa says, uh, take a look at the brand identities that you're encountering online and in the world and think about what you like. Uh, what don't you like? And do you know why? Why does the menu design of your favorite restaurant trigger you? Does that affect your perception of the restaurant in some way? Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. at big boy, it did Mm -hmm. right back (laughs) in the day. Yes. Think about the brands that are less glossy than some and how that does or doesn't work for the establishment. Explore rebrands and investigate the choices that you made and why. Um, Under Consideration is one of many websites that have great resources for that kind of research. Remember that branding isn't just aesthetic, it's tactile and emotional. Explore the feelings generated from interacting with a person or product. 
And I, <laughs> I have this thing here. So there's like a meme about, you know, rude Jamaican food service. Like the ruder the server are, the more bomb the food's yeah. going to be. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like that's like a whole kind of brand thing around that kind of food. I've never actually been to a Jamaican restaurant, but I'm excited to try it because I want to see if they're rude Let's go. Let's and then go. the food is good. Like I want to know. They're, they're impatient because <laughs> they, they got to jerk they that got chicken. It. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the flip side of that, you take that to the, like, the Ed DeBevix. Right. side of oh, like packaging yeah. that attitude oh, and yeah. it gets weird yeah right? so there's there's an organic there's uh nature to that Cultural, that has to be yes. part of it yeah exactly yeah um speaking of that last point just one plug for a book that i think is is yeah. really useful for people kind of trying to figure out what sort of path and 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 life they want to have designing your life mm. is is the book mm-hmm. it's, it actually came out of a course at yale about applying design thinking to your own career. We're all really good at applying our skills to other people's businesses. But when you sort of shine that same lens on or light, I'm mixing metaphors. Um, when when you apply sort of that double diamond approach or the design thinking approach to how you want your career to go and, and, and sort of knowing that some of these things aren't going to happen for years, but if you sort of lay the framework for some of it now, I think it's just a, it's a really useful book for even non-creative uh, folks to to use to think about uh, designing their their own life too, like designing it. their own career. I had a great uh, leadership coach for a long time that would talk about, I was always going into these, what turned out to be a very profound conversation, but I was going in with the most menial shit. Like, I have too many meetings. <laughs> and so she would open my calendar and look at it and be like, you know, how many of these were ones that you mm. uh, put on your calendar? Oh. I was like, none of them. She's like, so you're just letting other people design your day. Oh. I was like, oh, shit. You're right. She's like, design or be designed. Somebody is going to design your life. I'm like, let it let it be you. Get, oh. ahead, get ahead of other people dropping shit on your calendar oh or on your decade or on your career. That's yeah. so deep. Like yeah. That. That's what I call, I mean, I told Hops of this before. That's what I call a time burglar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. they'll, they'll burgle your time if yes. you let them for sure. Yeah. Take your time back. Block block yes. a, block a whole day, and suddenly what? Nobody. Right. It's fine. Nobody's in. Nothing your happens. Yeah. It's not available. <laughs> Nothing happens. I'm outside. All right. Homework. Do a trade. Mm. Reach out. Collaborate. Yeah, and you articulated this really well. Well, I was so maybe a couple homework assignments ago. We yeah. talked about networking and yes. how painful that is for some of us that mm-hmm. are feeling introverted at the moment. Yes. But I thought back to art school when we used to be like, hey, I need a photo of this thing, studio shot. I can't do that. You have lighting. You have the space. I will give you a haircut. Can you shoot this piece of work for me? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's such a great Mm -hmm. network that we aren't tapping. At least I have forgot to tap into over the years is to be like, Hafsa, can you please give me a motorcycle ride? And I will (laughs) do this thing for you. And it's that's another way to just... Mm-hmm. connect with people in your creative circles mm-hmm. without having it to be like a big laborious network thing yeah. mm-hmm. is to just go back to that uh, student, let me hustle for a minute mentality. Yeah. That's a great way to network too, is to ask for something yeah. and then offer something. Absolutely. And it kind of gets us out of our, uh, I think our shells that we sometimes get into as creatives where we're, you know, we're so focused on the thing, we're at our canvas, we're at our laptop, you know, and it's sort of that solo uh, work environment. And so mm-hmm. I love that that sort of pulls you back out into the world mm-hmm. of, you know, 
there are other people that are creative whose skill sets you know can complement your own. Mm -hmm. Work with them. Yeah, if, if you stop saying networking, start saying collaborating, mm -hmm. it feels way different. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, some, when we were doing stuff for Duo, I mean, we had a whole mm -hmm. content marketing program, yep. and uh, one of like the recipes we talked about a lot was um, you know give give ask yes. or you know you had to you had to. Um, put at least like four or five just beneficial pieces right. of content out before you did anything where you asked somebody for something. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that applies uh, across the board. Absolutely. Like you show up to a, um, a, net, a networking event at like a makerspace. Right, yeah. Don't go in there asking for help right. with with your stuff. Go in there and offer right. help and all of a sudden you're, you're the useful person right. that's willing to work with people. And then then you turn it back around and be like, okay, so I've got a thing yeah, yeah. and you're really great at this. Yeah, you want to help me with this? Yeah. You know, we this sort of barter exactly. economy I think is um, yeah. incredibly useful Absolutely. with people with like lots of great skill sets. Yes. Yeah. We all have amazing ones. And it brings the community together. Like you meet so many yeah. dope people doing that. That was – um, I keep going on tangents, but one of my favorite things when I moved to Ann Arbor after being on the West Coast for a long time – um, there was such a willingness to involve other people in people's projects here to collaborate with other people and not to, you know, cast a shadow on sort of the West Coast mentality, but there were a lot of people doing amazing things and they really wanted you to come see them, mm. but everything felt like a competition, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. I have a studio and I'm doing this thing and I, you should come to my show, yeah. uh, but I don't, I can't open the, yeah. the door for you to encroach on my thing. Right. I came to Ann Arbor, I went to like one thing at the tech brewery, met Dog Song, went to MakerWorks and met Thea Eck there. And all of a sudden I'm like plugged into a million projects yep. that people are like, you do a cool thing, I'm doing a cool thing, mm -hmm. want to do that together. And that was such a good feeling and, and really has sort of informed how I felt about like working with other people and collaborating on this stuff. So Absolutely. being useful, but also being willing mm -hmm. is, I think, a really valuable and even coming back you know kind of that what is a brand thing mm -hmm. i think that's you're starting to build your brand with that people can recognize that hey you're the person who does that thing and you're collaborative you you're mm -hmm. asking to participate you're offering up your services you're showing that you're a personable person to yeah. work with mm -hmm. you know like that is all part of your brand perception people want to work with people that they like and that mm -hmm. they enjoy working with and who have something to offer i'd rather be a useful friend than an impressive asshole <laughs> 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 That's a great spot. To yes, end it. I think so. <laughs> and we close. And if you like this podcast, be sure to heart, like, and subscribe to Cadence wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at, at Cadence Podcast, or check out our episodes and more at thecadencepod.com. We are proudly based in Ypsilanti, Michigan, recording from the podcast studio at venue by 4M in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we hope that wherever you're creating from in the world, you are marching to your own cadence. Thanks for listening. Bye.